Hello and welcome to New City Church's podcast. We're a small non-denominational church in Nashville, Tennessee, practicing the way of Jesus together. For more information on who we are, what we do, how you can get involved, and resources for your faith, check out newcitynash.com. We hope and pray this message blesses you. Exodus 34, 28 through 35. Moses remained there on the mountain with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. In all that time, he ate no bread and drank no water. And the Lord wrote the terms of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, on the stone tablets. When Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over, and he talked with them. Then all the people of Israel approached him, and Moses gave them all the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out again. Then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him, and the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face. So he would put the veil over his face until he returned to speak with the Lord. Lord, thank you so much um, for just letting us gather here today um, to gather in here in your presence, Lord. Um, thank you that now um, all of us can be here in your presence, Lord, um, in your community, Lord. I pray that as we continue on um, in worship, Lord, that you would just um, remind us of who you are, Lord, um, that all of our faces would, would glow with the radiance that you I thought about like covering my face in glitter today, so it'd be really uh, shiny, but I hate glitter. I don't know about y'all, uh, my wife not that long ago wrapped a present like on our dining room table that, and she used wrapping paper that had glitter on it. Pretty sure there's still glitter uh, on our table. And I say that to say, I, I would love for our church to be not like literal glitter people because glitter is, I don't love it, but to be people that wherever we go, there are traces of just the goodness and glory of God, like leaving glitter in places. Uh, when I was in sixth grade, I went to uh, like a Christian school, and, and I think maybe this was a Bible class project. I hope it was, because me and some friends had to make a video and we dressed up as Bible characters. So I'm really hoping it was a Bible project and not like science or something like that. But uh, for this video, I think I dressed up as like Abraham or something and wore like a tunic. And I grew up in Chattanooga, and we had uh, some horses and miniature donkeys, which if you've never seen miniature donkeys, they're what they sound like. They're smaller versions of tall donkeys. They're about this big, like 300 pounds. And for whatever reason, in this video, I thought it would be a great idea to try to ride the donkey. I don't know if you ever tried to ride a donkey. It has not been trained. It did not work too well. Luckily, we caught it on film. Wish I had that for you today, but it just took out from underneath me. I've had that happen several times. You think I'd learn my lesson. We've had several times, too, growing up that the donkeys would, like, break out of the fence. And I don't know if you ever tried to wrestle a donkey to get it back in, especially as a kid. It was hard. I mean, they were, like, 300 pounds, and I had 200 pounds on me, and they are stubborn. It's all get out. I don't know if you ever tried to get, a, like, livestock back into a fence, but it is no easy task. And I say this to say, in Exodus, God describes the people of Israel as a stiff-necked people, stubborn rebellious, it would have probably brought up imagery of something like an ox. Think of stiff-necked as like you want the thing to go right, but instead it goes left. 
You want it to go forward, but instead it stays in the same place. You want it to stay, and instead it runs ahead. We had this dog that uh, whenever it would see a cat, would just bolt as quick as it possibly could. Running down the stairs would bolt, uh, like about rip your arm out the socket. Once or twice, lost him, and he got into the woods, and luckily we were able to catch him again. Uh, but maybe you don't have experience with like a donkey or a dog like that. But the reality is, I think most of us are stiff-necked, stubborn people. I'll speak, when I say we, I'm going to speak for me, myself, and I. We are stiff-necked, <laughs> stubborn people. That we think our way is the best way to do things, so we keep going about doing it. And the hard thing for us as people who want to follow after God is the very definition of following something or someone means that we need to let go of the reins, so to speak. That we need to follow where he leads. Then instead of going right, when we want to go right, if he says go left, we go left. But since the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, we see that man and woman chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God said was wrong. They obviously thought it was right, and we see how that kind of played out for everyone else. And really, human history is time and time again, people saying, well, God said this way, I'm going to go this way instead. Stubborn, stiff-necked kind of people. I almost get the imagery of, uh, we don't have a toddler yet, we have a 10-month-old, but of like a toddler trying to get them to go somewhere when they don't want to go. Uh, I took Caleb to the zoo this week and saw so many toddlers who were having a great time, but also so many who started throwing fits halfway through the zoo, sitting down uh, on the sidewalk when you probably had a mile to get back to the exit, just there throwing a fit because they wanted to go to the store. And my parents are like, man, we're like a mile away, <laughs> but we're still in the, the right vicinity. And I, and, and I think a lot of us, when it comes to our relationship with God, are like this. Uh, and this is difficult, right? Because we want God to do what we want him to do, but we are stubborn and stiff-necked. God says to go right, and instead we go left, and then we expect that somehow we're gonna get the results of going right. We're stiff-necked, stubborn people. And what I wanna get at with this story is, uh, maybe it doesn't sound that profound, but it's uh, quite important. It's this, spending time with God changes you. Spending time with God changes you. We see this with this story of, of Moses here. Um, and what Moses is doing is he is radiating the goodness and glory of God. I was listening to this book earlier this week by a guy named Dallas Willard, and he was talking about when it comes to helping people encounter God or come to know God, what's important is not just being able to logically say things, <laughs> not that that even sounded like me logically saying anything, but to be able to reason, like that's important, but he said what's really important is that people who follow Jesus, that their lives are remarkably different. Because if, if the message that we proclaim is that apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins, but in Christ we have eternal life, abundant life, life now and forevermore, then there ought to be something different about people who follow Jesus. Now, you and me can probably obviously testify to the fact that there's a lot of people who are Christians, probably ourselves included, who oftentimes our lives don't look that different. But this story tells us that what happens when Moses spends time with God Literally, his face shines, and what's interesting in the text to me is that he's unaware of it. He's unaware. I don't know if you've ever been around somebody who you can tell has spent time in the presence of God. Uh, maybe it's not even that, but maybe you think about, uh, you know, someone becoming a grandparent for the first time, or when someone's falling in love, right? And you see on their face, oh, their face is radiant. It glows. That There's something different about them. I don't know if you've ever spent time with somebody when you hang out with them, you can tell that they've been in the presence of God. About once a quarter, I meet with this guy for soul care, which is like a mix of therapy, spiritual direction, spiritual formation stuff, and every time I spend time with this guy, 
I can just tell this man has been with Jesus. He says profound things and beautiful things, but it's more than that. It's just like there's something about this guy's demeanor that I can tell he knows Jesus is with us. I mean, literally, he lights this thing called a Christ candle at the beginning of our sessions, signifying that God is with us in this space, and then he, like, blows it out after we're done. Uh, and just, he literally, at the end of the meeting, will thank God for showing up in there um, in the time with us. And every time I'm with him, I'm just like, man, you have soaked up time with Jesus. And it's not even that he words things in the most eloquent way or whatever, but, like, he has just soaked up time with Jesus, and I can tell. I don't know if you've ever been around someone like that, but as followers of Jesus, I think that's what this text is getting at, to radiate the presence of God. That it's not just about being able to eloquently describe everything about God, but it's that there is something markably different about your presence. Not because of anything you've done, but because of spending time with God. But the truth is, you can't manufacture true radiance that comes from God's presence. You can't manufacture it. Now, I say this because a lot of people try, myself included. I would say probably we all try to manufacture this type of radiance that comes from God's presence. We try to be perceived as good people, whatever the thing is. We're going to come back to this, but we notice in this story that Moses repeatedly kept going back to God, that his face would shine after being with God. He would speak to the people, and then he put the veil on. Then when he goes back to the tent of meeting, goes and is with God, comes back out, shining again. Uh, and I, I don't know about you guys, uh, I love playing Ultimate Frisbee. Haven't played in a couple years. Y'all played that? Anybody? You know what Ultimate Frisbee is? You know what a Frisbee is? Great. Okay, have you ever used a glow-in-the-dark Frisbee? Yes. They're the worst. Aren't they? Like, I mean, we, we tried to use them for, like, youth group stuff growing up, and uh, anytime you use them, they die so quickly. The light just leaves. But how do you get it to have light? Sunlight, right? Oh, or battery. I guess that's the, that's the other way of light up Frisbee. Uh, sunlight, you get them in direct light for some period of time. They soak up the light, and then they can glow in the dark for some set period of time. A lot of us forget that we're kind of like glow-in-the-dark Frisbees. And what I mean by that is that we just spend one time with God. We have this cool experience at camp when we're six years old. We have this great one-time church experience. We experience God in this really beautiful, amazing way, like the sun is just beaming down on us. And then we expect in everything that we do in our life, it's going to be marked by the presence of God. Which, I mean, if the Lord has saved you and rescued you, absolutely, that's true. But we forget that it's like being a glow-in-the-dark frisbee. It's about soaking up time in God's presence regularly and repeatedly, that that's what changes you the long haul, not just this once and done, and I watched a cool video online and now my life is totally different. It might be, and praise God, but that's meant to start, oh wow, this is what it's like to be in the sun, with the sun, to use the pun, son of, son of God. Um, but what I love about this story too is that Moses was unaware when he came down the mountain. And it's interesting too, because he had been fasting, he'd said that he didn't eat or drink for 40 days. I don't know if anybody's gone that long without even just eating, but most of y'all's faces, my face, probably wouldn't be radiating, I wouldn't think. But Moses' face is tuned in to something so much deeper than something physical. That it's something about his presence that even transcends his physical circumstances. And, and something else we see in this story is, uh, is a comparison between Moses and the golden calf. There's a story two chapters before in Exodus chapter 32 where Moses comes down from the mountain and the people of Israel are worshiping this golden calf that they had made. 
And there's some interesting wordplay going on in there with the um, Hebrew text around uh, Moses' face being radiant or shining. It also, from what I understand, can mean something like horns and thinking about a calf with horns. It's pointing back to this, another story where Moses comes down the mountain. And we're learning that Moses is greater than a golden calf. Moses is greater than a golden calf. And what I want to get at with this is a golden calf is meant to be an image of the divine, whether that's multiple gods, Yahweh, whatever it is. It's meant to be an image of God. But in the Bible, we are made, you are made to be images of God. You're made in the image of God, and you're made to represent who God is to the world. And what it means to follow after Jesus in a lot of ways is learning to live into that reality of what does it mean to represent who God is to the world. And the reality is, like the Israelites made a golden calf, people try to manufacture something like this, like a golden calf. Try to, rather than being images of God, we try to make images of ourselves, or we fashion God in our own image to something that is more palatable, understandable, whatever, as opposed to worshiping the actual God of the Bible. Or we falsely sanctify things and say that they're of God. We hold on to things that seem shiny, and we'll say that this is of God. But it may or may not be. Idols are interesting because uh, most of us probably in this room, I, I mean, I don't know everybody, but I imagine most of you probably don't have like a golden calf sitting in your room. Uh, maybe you do, but we have idols in a different sort of sense. Uh, idols that might be in our heart. They can be even good things that we make God things. And, and the way that I think of it is going back to this imagery of like being stiff-necked. What, are, what is it in your life that holds the reins of your life? What is it that steers you? What is it guides you? What is it that directs you? And sometimes they're good. They're not even inherently bad. What is it that guides your decisions? You may sanctify it and say this is of God, but sometimes it's not. Maybe the job decision is not of God. Maybe God doesn't, it's fine with you making either one, but you say God led me, but it's really because you're getting a pay raise. Or you're looking for success or influence or power, whatever the thing is. Not that any of these things are inherently bad, but here's a telling question, and this is not in the Bible, this is one that I try to ask myself. Would you follow Jesus if it meant you never got that thing that you so desperately want? Would you follow him if it meant that you never got the thing that you so desperately want? And listen, I believe God wants you to have abundant life and wants to bless you. Um, I, I do believe that. And ultimately, I think we really desire Jesus. But if you never got that, if you want power or success, if you never got success, if you care a lot about what people think about you, like I do, if people didn't remember your name, but people knew the name of Jesus, would you still follow him? Would you still do it? My question is for us, do we want any of these things more than we want Jesus to know him and to make him known? And the reality is most of us probably have a mixed bag with that. I both want Jesus to be known and I also want to be known for making Jesus known. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? To be honest, I'm terrified that my drive to succeed or even see people come to the Lord or come to church or get connected will become more about me or my success or my pride or my worth than about Jesus. And I have to ask myself constantly, do I care more about Jesus and his name being known than about mine? If my name is totally forgotten, people look down on me, whatever, will I still follow after Jesus? That's what it means of him being Lord of your life, that we submit to him, that no longer am I just going my own way, but I let go of the reins and I hand them to him for him to guide me and direct me, which means he's probably gonna lead me in some directions that I don't want to go. But they're for good. 
we make idols out of things even that are good. And we see this a lot in the church, uh, too. I'm, I'm going to be real. Maybe you've all seen this. I think there's been plenty of documentaries out recently to showcase that churches have made idols out of uh, not-so-great things. Maybe it's political ideology. Uh, maybe it's how many butts are in seats. Uh, maybe it's money. Maybe it's influence. Not that any things are, these things are bad, right? Like, God can use money in a beautiful way. We want people to come to church. We want people to come to faith. We want to be able to help more people come to know Jesus, which involves influence, right? But when they drive us, we're not submitting to God's reign. And we see this with a lot with like church abuse, uh, church uh, toxic, church leadership, and other things where we make idols out of even potentially good things, trying to manufacture these things that look shiny and good. And what happens as we create all these golden calves in our day, once again, maybe it's money, success, maybe it's a lack of pain or health or being deemed a good Christian, whatever it is, but ultimately you cannot manufacture the true radiance and goodness that comes from God because all of these things will fall short. Because if you think about even just like a golden calf, right, it could get destroyed, you could hide it, which is why I would say probably a lot of people are so afraid when their golden calf gets threatened. Because the golden crap calf gets threatened. Maybe it's the brand, maybe it's their leadership, maybe it's what people think about them, whatever the thing is. We get so afraid because we've made these golden calves and we're concerned that if someone tells people what this is, and the light shines on it in the right way, we're gonna be able to tell it for what it is, which is a load of bull, pun intended. But the true radiance that comes from God surpasses all of this. It shines in the dark. And Moses here was totally unaware. And I want us as a church to be people who are not so consumed with just trying to protect this image that we forget that we're not about just our image. What I want is I want God to be known. I want people to know Jesus. And spending time with Jesus changes us. When you think of the fruits of the Spirit, you've probably heard these before. If you've been just, I mean, you live in the South, you've probably heard these before. What are they? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Notice what is lacking from that. Money, power, success, health, lack of anxiety, lack of depression, uh, influence, huge Instagram following, power. All of those things are notably lacking. Not that God can't give those things and bless us with those things. He can and he does and he uses them and praise God when he does. The question is for us as followers of Jesus, are we growing in these things? Are our lives marked by this radiance of God that comes in the form of things like love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? Are our lives marked by things like that? And I'm not just talking about when you have to perform in front of people and make them think you're a good Christian. I'm talking about when you're on the road. When I'm on the road, when I'm tired, or like Caleb wakes us up at two in the morning or something, you know, like I'm talking about those harder moments. Are those what comes out, the fruit of the Spirit? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Because we see in Colossians 1 that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. That he existed before anything was created and supreme over all creation, which what I want to get at with that is like, when it comes to being with Jesus, our goal as followers of Jesus and being made in the image of God is to become more like Jesus. 
As you grow in your faith, are you noticing that what's the fruit is that your character is looking more like Jesus? Not just the results, which just to point out, like, at least Jesus' male disciples, like, basically all betrayed him. Also, there's multiple stories where Jesus, there's a story where Jesus preached a message and a bunch of people just left. That does not look like good branding uh, or good success on Instagram. If, you know, you post something, then, like, half of the people leave. Stop following you. But that's what Jesus does. Here's what I want to get at with that. You are made in his image and called to be salt and light. And that light comes from spending time with God. So how do we do that? I want to suggest to you one really practical way is through something that we really strive to do as a church, which is what we call and others call practicing the way of Jesus together. It centers around these three things. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. Sounds remarkably simple, and in some ways it is, but simple doesn't mean easy. It's difficult, but it means that not only do we just think these things, right, about God, but that we want our lives to reflect who God is. Because to be frank, I mean, I I think about this story relatively often, so when Ann and I first started dating on our third date, I think it was, um, we went to a carnival and uh, we went there, and I was wanting to have, like, all these really deep theological conversations because, like, I love that. And I was like, man, we're not having any of these sorts of conversations. And I was just thinking about how are we going to start talking about, like, how good God is and, like, what he's calling us to do in the world and all this stuff. And uh, we had some tickets left at this carnival to use. And uh, we were walking by uh, some kids, and I was just, like, kind of, that we weren't having this conversation. And it says, oh, why don't we go and give these tickets to these kids over here? And my thought with the tickets was, let's go blow them on something really dumb. <laughs> like, let's get like a, a big lemonade or something. They're like, I don't even need or want. At the end of the day, I don't care that much if we talk about loving God, if it doesn't mean that we love him. I don't care that much if it, we talk about loving our neighbor and following Jesus where he leads and what it means to follow Jesus if we don't actually do it. We're meant to... Follow Jesus. Give the reins over to him. And following means like, just with your mind, but with your body. That I want our lives to be remarkably different by the way that we structure our calendars, by the way that we interact with those that annoy us or drive us crazy, the way we interact with people when we're tired and worn out. I want us to be people who practice the way of Jesus. And one practice I just want to highlight to you that Um, that I think is in this passage. It doesn't say necessarily that he like intentionally fasted, but in this passage, Moses goes without eating 40 days and 40 nights. And I mentioned earlier that, you know, if you go without eating for that long, you're like not expecting that your face is going to be shining. Uh, That's a very, uh, maybe not like total biblical view of fasting. That's more of just like a modern view of fasting. Uh, Certainly, if you fast for any lengthy period of time, you will feel quite weak and that will probably be pretty noticeable to people. Uh, But there's this story uh, where Jesus, in the beginning of his ministry, goes into the wilderness and fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, of course, we can say it's Jesus, he's the son of God, like, does he really need to eat anyways? Probably not, you know, but he was still human, right? Fully God, fully man. And I heard a pastor one time say that he used to think Jesus must have been, like, really hangry the whole time, you know, when the devil's out there tempting him and been like, man, that must have been hard, he's hangry. But thinking about it from a more biblical perspective, which is that when you're fasting or doing one of these practices, what he's doing is he's tapping into a sort of deeper strength, not based on this 
idol or based on this other thing, but based fully on God. And so thinking of it in a practical way, even in Jesus' story when he's tempted and the devil's like, hey, here you can have this food. I mean, think about it, if that's you, you're 40 days in, I mean, sure, you're really hungry, but at that point, you've gone 40 days. Like, I, I'm fine. It's not like I'm more hungry than I was five days ago. <laughs> fasting is a way of seeking after God. And I used to think fasting was just about, like, getting something from God. I, I've come to realize it's certainly there's something about that, but it's really about seeking him more than you seek something else. It's about turning your desires in your heart towards him. It's a practical way of like ingraining it in your body that more than anything, I need God. Uh, and there's a lot to, that we could say with fasting. I mean, uh, particularly if you've struggled with uh, any sort of eating disorder or you're um, in a medical, have a medical condition that prevents you from doing something like that. But um, a practice of abstinence, meaning like that you don't look at social media or you don't do something else uh, for a set period of time to seek after God, what it does is it trains you in a very practical way in like patience, trains you in self-control, also train you in gentleness uh, and other things as well because what it does is it puts a degree of separation between you and the thing that you want and so here if we're thinking about how do I become someone who radiates the presence of God things like the spiritual practices like fasting reading your Bible prayer Sabbath all of these are really important because what they do is they literally ingrain it into your body not just through your mind but like oddly enough fasting is growing your faith through your stomach strange, but it's really, really beautiful. Um, and so my challenge for us um, is I want us to be people who spend time with God in really profound ways and that that changes us. Not just changes us to think we know more about God, but changes us to actually love him more, to radiate his goodness and glory everywhere we go and that our lives are marked by the presence of God in everything that we do. We all pray with me? God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for uh, being here in this place with us. Thank you for your goodness and your glory, and I pray um, just right now for everyone in this room, Lord, that you just draw us all in close to you um, and help us to live into who you've made us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, one last thing before the band sings. There's a guy um, in, in the Exodus story. If you're reading through the Bible with us, you may have noticed his name, Bezalel, I'm, which, preacher tip, no, I'd never know fully how to pronounce these names. You just kind of say them like you know. So we're gonna go with Bezalel today. Bezalel is like a worksman, a craftsman, and we're told, I think it's in Exodus 35 or 36, that he was filled with the Spirit of God to do all these things with designing the tabernacle. And I say this to say that sometimes in like Christian circles, we um, exalt certain professions or certain things as being extra holy. But what I love about this story is that this guy's Bezalel, his name is mentioned so much, and there's so many details about what he does with his hands. And so my encouragement for you, that you are made in the image of God, and if you're uh, an accountant, if you're a pharmacist, or going to be a pharmacist, if you're um, whatever the thing is that you do, God wants to use you to be his image in that particular place. And he has a purpose for you there. Let's sing together. Thanks for tuning in to New City Church's podcast. We hope today's message blessed you. For more information on who we are, what we do, how you can get involved in some resources for your faith, check out newcitynash.com. But until then, may God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance towards you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.